Oh, you were? Okay. Alhamdulillah. It'll be on the site when, it back, when it's back up, inshallah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه هدى للمتقين الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون والذين يؤمنون بما أنزل إليك وما أنزل من قبلك وبالآخرة هم يوقنون أولئك على هدى من ربهم وأولئك هم المفلحون رب الشح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله once again, everyone, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Our intention today is to move on from where we left off yesterday. The last thing we read about was Hudalil Muttaqeen. I'll say a few comments about that last piece of the second ayah where Allah Azza wa mentions that this book is a guidance and a living guidance for people who protect themselves and want to be cautious. The word al muttaqin is an, a noun in the Arabic language. It's called an ism fa'il in the Arabic language. But in English, when I translate it, I have to use a verb. I don't use a noun. I have to say things like those who protect themselves. In, and when I said that in English, the word protect was a verb. The thing is that there's a fundamental difference in the Arabic language between verbs and nouns. And though this is not a grammar class, one thing I should be able to explain to you with little difficulty is that verbs are temporary. When you when I you know, say he eats, that doesn't mean he's always going to eat. It's not permanent. It's just in the present tense. A verb is either in the past tense or the present tense or the future tense, which means it's not timeless. Which means it's temporary. As opposed to it, a noun like tree, or car, or truth, or something like that. These are these are nouns. Nouns don't have a tense. They don't have a past tense. They don't have a present tense. They don't have a future tense. And so when you use nouns you're actually referring to something permanent or timeless that isn't caged by time as opposed to a verb. Now that's important because even though in the English translation of the Qur'an, the difference between verbs and nouns gets kind of murky. It mixes up together, right? Because it's sometimes difficult because in the, in the language of the Qur'an, sometimes it's, there's a noun, but it's very hard to translate it as a noun. So we end up translating it as a verb. And when we do that, some of the original intention and power of that word is lost. And so you have to go out of your way to kind of explain, well, this one was a noun, and that means Allah is suggesting something permanent. And that's important in the case of Hudallil Muttaqeen, because when Allah Azza wa says, Al Muttaqeen, the people who protect themselves are cautious, who take precaution, Allah is referring to a, peop, a group of people that will always be there. He's not just saying these are people that used to be in the past, back in the day, and then now they're not there anymore. And this is a big shift from what Allah talked about. The good people Allah talked about right before Al-Muttaqeen, the good people Allah talked about was in Fatiha. He said, Sirata al-ladhina an'amta alayhim. The path of those who you have showered favor upon. That was the last good group of people that we read about in, this, in the sequence of the Qur'an. But notice there, those of you that are familiar with Arabic, al-ladhi an'amta alayhim, those who you favored, or you showered favor upon, that's the past tense, yes? So, in Fatiha, we're supposed to look for role models in the past. 
Because the people who Allah truly showered favor upon and gave guidance to, those are the heroes of this deen from the past. Those are the, you know, an-nabiyyin, as-siddiqeen, as-shuhada, as-salihin. Those are the, the, the prophets, those who confirm the truth of the prophets, like the companions, radiallahu anhu ajma'in. Great people like the scholars or the righteous that we read about. Even there are, in the Qur'an, Allah talks about great people that are not prophets. And that are not sahabis or companions of a prophet, like the people of the cave, for example. They're not prophets, and they're not companions of a prophet either, but they're great people, right? So, but they're also in the past. So we look for role models in the past. And that's important to understand because, you know, you can have a role model in the present. You can have somebody you look up to in the present, but that's always gonna be limited. Because they're still alive, which means they're still open to the waswasa of shaitan. Which means they can still fall before they die. But the people that have died, and Allah gave them the certificate of graduation, that they're successful in their guidance, and Allah approved of them, those are guaranteed role models. You know, when I explain that concept, often I give the example of college students. College students, if, you are go- if you're studying accounting or business, then you don't take advice from the guy who's in the same year as yourself, even if he's an A student. You take advice from someone who graduated from that university with the same degree and now has a job. Because they've already treaded this path, and so they're in much better position to give you advice, as opposed to someone who's on the journey along with you at the same time. So the point I'm trying to make is that in the Fatiha, we look for role models where? In the past. But then it kind of makes you also depressed a little bit, because it maybe gives the implication that the only people to look forward to, or the only good people, all the good people are all gone, and the only thing left is us, us, the leftovers. So there's no hope for us, because those who Allah favored, all back in the day. What, what, the, what Surah Al-Baqarah does from the very beginning by using the word Al-Muttaqeen, the ism fa'id, the noun, is to say that the people of taqwa, for whom the doors of guidance are gonna stay open, those people were in the past, you're gonna find them in the present, and they're also going to be there in the future. No matter how bad times get, how modern they get, the Muslim should not develop this sick mentality, man, I wish I lived in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, because the good people were back then, now it's just us. And a lot of Muslims have accepted about themselves that they're bad people, that they can't be people of taqwa. This is, this is not, this is actually absolutely absurd. And it's negated from the very first, you know, discourse in Surah Al-Baqarah by Allah Azza wa Jal using the words Al-Muttaqeen. Now, describing these people of taqwa, before we go on, you need to understand a very delicate concept. There are people in the Qur'an, and when the time comes, I'll explain that in more detail. There are people in the Qur'an whose taqwa, who's cautious, attitude and whose uh, carefulness towards their deen is described after they are Muslim. So someone who becomes Muslim, they take their shahada, now they have taqwa, they're extra careful. For example, they're careful about not missing a prayer. They're careful about not earning haram. They're careful about where they look. They're careful about these things, so they're demonstrating the, the idea of taqwa in their life. But actually, there's also a kind of taqwa before iman. There were people that were careful about not lying. They, were, they protected themselves from cheating. They protected themselves from hurting other people. Like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Iman hasn't touched him yet. But he still has something of what? Of taqwa. He's still careful about things. He's still protective of things. So Allah azza wa in this ayah by using al-muttaqeen has actually opened the door to Muslims and good non-Muslims all over the world. Anybody who comes to this book for guidance, if they have the quality that they want to save themselves from evil, they want to save themselves from failure, and they come to this book, it doesn't matter if they're Christian, Jewish, agnost, atheist, whatever they are, they will find guidance in this book. They'll actually, the door to all of them, the invitation has been opened. 
you know. But there, there are certain prerequisites though, that they will also have to meet. And that's where we get into the next ayah. Which kinds of cautious people are going to actually benefit from the guidance of this book. So what I'm trying to get at is now, Allah has opened the door to the entire Medinan community. And by extension, the entire world. Because the Medina community is not just Muslims, it's Jews, it's Christians. They've also been given an invitation now, Hudal lil muttaqeen. Because Allah didn't restrict it to Hudal lil muslimin. Right? Or Hudal lil mu'mineen. That's it. No, no, no. Hudal lil muttaqeen. It's actually more broad. As a matter of fact, in Surah Ali Imran, describing some people of Ahlul Kitab, some of the people of the book, the Jews and the Christians, Allah says, وَأُولَٰئِكَ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ وَأُولَٰئِكَ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ They are also from good people. The, he describes good qualities among them, you know. So this is something that is the, part of the mercy of the Qur'an and the open invitation of the Qur'an. Whether, you know, we sometimes think that the Qur'an that was revealed in Mecca was focused on da'wah to the mushrikeen. They were inviting the mushrikeen. And the Qur'an that was revealed in Medina is focused on the Muslims, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. And is just giving them laws, sharia, ahkam, things like that. That's not entirely the case. Yes, the law, the, the, a lot of the laws of Islam are revealed in the, uh, the Madani Qur'an. But the invitation to the people of the book, and by extension all people, is actually continuous, even in the Madani Qur'an. It's still not just entirely only focused on the Muslims themselves. And that's evident from, uh, from the very beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah. Now Allah says, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Perhaps in our times, this, this phrase is more alive than ever before. Those who believe in the unseen. Those who believe in which, that which cannot be seen, Al-Ghayb. Now the idea of it, you know, we're especially relevant in, in our times and the movements, the modern academic and philosophical movements that are taking hold in the world. For example, scientism, you know, the idea that the only thing verifiable is that which can be checked through means of science, through the five senses. If you can gauge the data and find evidence for it in the physical universe, then we can discuss it. And if you cannot find it in the physical universe or prove it through some kind of device or tool, like you can check, you can measure temperature so we can know it exists. You know, you can gauge gravity or gravitational force so we know it exists. But God, heaven, hell, angels, you, there's no scientific device that can tell you that there's such a thing as a God or heaven or hell. So there's no point even discussing this stuff. This stuff is all irrelevant. The only things that matter to people that can move humanity forward is a discussion that's based on hard science, right? That's, that's a new mentality that has kind of shaped the thinking of a lot of young people. And there's a lot of money put behind this kind of thinking. Uh, it's important to note that not just Muslims and not just Christians or Jews, but actually other philosophers, academics, mathematicians, sociologists, anthropologists have already refuted this concept. They've already demonstrated that this idea that everything true can only come from science doesn't hold. Because if you, if you go by that standard, for example, to make things easy here, what about something like literature? Somebody reads a beautiful piece of poetry and says, wow, that was beautiful. Can you scientifically prove that that was beautiful? Everybody experienced that it was beautiful. Some young guys listening to a song and bopping his head and saying, that, this song is amazing. But there's no scientific evidence that that song is amazing. It's just a bunch of sound waves traveling through the air, scientifically speaking. It has no qualitative value. But yet this young man is convinced enough to buy the, the MP3 or whatever and download it on his phone and waste hours and hours hypnotizing himself to the beat. There's clearly human behavior based on things that aren't scientific or proven scientifically. So it actually collapses on itself. There are elements to human life that are unseen. Like when you tell your mother, I love you. Uh, can you prove that scientifically? No. 
Is there a tool that can you can you know put some device on your heart and check if you really love your mother or not? No. A living emotion like love and how much of our life is driven by love and hate. You know? How much of your purchasing decisions? What neighborhood do you love to buy your house in? What car did you love to buy? You know, the, the woman that a man loved to marry? You know? The, the name that a man, a parents love to give their child? How many decisions in life are based on what? Love. And love is entirely unscientific. It's entirely unscientific. You can't explain it as, well, you know, must be some kind of mysterious thing happening. Then again, you have to resort to Iman bil ghayb. So the idea that we have to understand is a reality beyond the scene. When people accept that reality, then they are ready for the kind of iman that this deen is talking about. Allah Azza wa Jal didn't even say, those who believe in Allah. He doesn't mention Himself yet. He just says, you have to accept that there's a reality beyond what your eyes can perceive. What you can touch, what you can smell. You know, it's from the ghayb to you. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ The other thing that to mention here, is that Allah used the mudari' the present tense for iman. You find in the Qur'an, الَّذِينَ amanu, The past tense. Here you find الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ The present tense. And the present tense suggests istimrar. It suggests continuity. It also suggests struggle, something that's incomplete. Actually the mudari' according to the people of rhetoric, the people of balagha, they say that this is fi'il غَيْرُ tam. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Let me put that in simple terms for you. If I say I ate lunch, that means I'm done eating. When I say I'm eating lunch, does that mean you're done? Meaning your action is still what? Incomplete. So the idea of using the present tense is these people have iman, but they keep working on their iman, they work on their faith, because they're not, they're not satisfied that their iman is complete. They keep working on it. And they keep realizing that sometimes it goes down and sometimes it comes up. And they, they don't give up on their iman. And just because they had a low day one time, it's not over. They, they get up and they you know, try to pick it back up again. Sa'atan fasa'a, like the Prophet ﷺ says, this iman, it comes and goes. Time and time. Sometimes you feel a high of it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're standing in prayer and it's the, most, it's the greatest revolution in your life. The tears that roll down your eyes change your life. Other times you're standing in the prayer, same ayat are being recited and nothing happens. And you're just waiting for the ruku'ah. That's what happens. So this is sa'atan fasa'a. It's something that comes and it goes. And so Allah Azza wa highlights that the people who are of constant taqwa, even they have ups and downs in iman. So even if a person has taqwa, it doesn't mean they're perfect. Even their iman is going to fluctuate. It's going to go up and down. And may Allah Azza wa make us of those who when the iman does go down, we know how to bring it back up again. Now Allah Azza wa mentions here, uh, what I wanted to share with you is something a, a, like a little bit of a deeper look at what does it mean to believe in the unseen. From the perspective of the Qur'an. You know, easily you can say believing in the unseen means they believe in Allah who they cannot see. They believe in angels they cannot see. They believe in a judgment day that they cannot see. They believe in hellfire that they cannot see. They believe in heaven that they cannot see, etc, etc, etc. As a matter of fact, for us, even the Prophet of Allah wasallam, or the revelation that came to him, all of it is unseen to us. We didn't see any of it. You know, and they, they, they believe in miracles they've never seen. They believe in the water parting with Musa salam that they never saw. This is an easy list of things that we've never seen, but we still believe in. But then there's a deeper look at all of this they see a reality around them that other people don't see. Everybody lives in the same era. 
We're all living in the same century. We're all living in the same year. The people that are in front of me in this audience are living in the same state. They're living in the same society. They're experiencing much of the same things around them. But the way they see them is not just with the eyes that can see the, the visible, but with an appreciation of the invisible. So for example, يَسْتَخْفُونَ مِنَ النَّاسِ You know, وَلَا يَسْتَخْفُونَ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَلَا يَسْتَخْفُونَ مِنَ اللَّهِ they say, people are sitting in a party, they're backbiting. They're talking about somebody. Someone with Iman in the unseen, now everybody else who just talks and makes fun of somebody, points out flaws of somebody, and you know, hor- says horrible things about someone who's not there. They don't realize that this is a crime. And they're not feeling any pain. As they speak more and more evil, their skin starts itching more and more. It doesn't happen. It's not like they start sweating. It's not like they start feeling pain or they start getting a root canal in the middle of their conversation. There are no physical consequences for you backbiting. But the one who has iman starts feeling a disturbance. And says, I'm ashamed to engage in this conversation. I can't do this. Because I'm embarrassed of what Allah is seeing of me right now. Right? So they are actually conscious of an unseen reality that everybody else at the party has no problem with. This is iman in the unseen. You'll find an example like, you know, wherever you're traveling. Sometimes, you know, especially I'll pick on the young man. A young man is, you know, walking around between classes on campus. And he's taking summer classes. Inna lillahi wa inna raji'un. So there's a girl walks by. Who's, I don't know how you can call that dressed, but okay. And his eye goes there and he wants to look again. And he remembers, huwa ma'akum ma kuntum. Wallahu bima ta'amaluna basir. Allah is with you wherever you are. And what you do, he's, he's looking. Allah is watching. You checking out the girl, Allah is checking you out right now. So you just kind of, you know, you just put your eyes down. Because you recognize this is iman in the ghayb. This is living iman in the ghayb. You know, it's easy to, to ask anybody, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. But at the time, when it's tested, did it impact your behavior? Did it impact your thinking? Did it impact, you know, your preferences? That's iman in the ghayb and that's a struggle. That's a struggle. So make a distinction between the facts of Islam. The fact of Islam is God is one. Muhammad is his messenger. Quran is his book. These are facts. If I woke you up at 2 in the morning and asked you about these facts, your answer would be the same. Because this answer is quantitative. It's quantitative. But when you experience life, whether or not you're conscious of the unseen reality, that's a qualitative problem. That's not a quantity problem. That's a quality problem. And these, this is why it's a struggle. It goes back, the consciousness raises, the caution is, is, is heightened, and you're more aware and sometimes you're less aware, right? So Allah Azza wa I'm gonna give you a few more examples of that, like for example in business. You have an opportunity to charge your customer far more than normal because he's desperate. And when you take advantage of the desperation of your customer, and you gauge your, you put your prices much, much higher, then that's actually a form of impermissible income. Because when you take advantage of people, it's impermissible. Some even consider it a form of riba, price gouging. At that time, when everybody else is interested in raising their prices 10 times, you still sell at the reasonable price. Because you realize that there's a profit that is coming your way from Allah, that is far better than the money that's gonna, the extra cash that you'll get right now. That's better for you. And it's much more preferred in the long run for you. This is belief in the unseen. You know, when you see somebody else having a lot of worldly acquisitions, your brother, your friend, somebody else got a promotion, you know, they, they bribe somebody, back, back home they bribe somebody, here they kind of, you know, they socialize and they mingle with them, and they go to the, 
you know, the Christmas party or the, the New Year's party and rub shoulders with the people that are drinking alcohol and that Muslim got a promotion and you're still left behind. You know, you didn't get that promotion. And that's, that, that's the time to believe in the unseen. Maybe Allah will give me better than your garden. Maybe if I stick to the halal, Allah will provide him from where he couldn't even imagine. I have to believe that Allah will send money my way and resources my way and provision my way from places that are beyond my imagination. If I can just continue to have taqwa in Allah. Similarly, when you're going through a difficulty, when you're in pain, when you're on painkillers or medication, or when your family members are in pain, or you're going through some kind of crisis, it seems like it's endless. It seems like it's never gonna end. People come and tell you, and it'll get better, it'll get better. The first thought in your mind is, when is it going to get better? I keep hearing this, it's only getting worse. And that's the time to remember belief in the unseen. إِنَّمَا يُوَفَّ الصَّابِرُونَ بِغَيْرِ حِسَابٍ Allah says, the people who can demonstrate patience, they will be compensated, and they will be given back in full without any limits. They thought their pain is limitless. Allah will compensate them in a limitless way. And they internalize that and their pain becomes easy for them to, to suffer from. You know, and they, they, they can pass through it easily. When you're feeling alone, there are people that are depressed and they feel alone. Nobody understands them, nobody appreciates them, nobody calls them, everybody texted everybody else, Ramadan Kareem, Eid Mubarak or whatever else, and they never got a text, they never got anybody poking them on their Facebook page or anything else. They never got any notifications, they're complete loners, and even those people, in ma'ya rabbi. And my Rabb is always with me, I'm never alone. Even they, in depression, in people that feel lonely, even they have a belief in the unseen that can help them remedy from it. You know? To, to understand that we're never without protection, as, as the elections hype up in the United States, we are more worried about what's gonna happen with the Muslims. Some people are thinking about their move to Canada, if Donald, Donald Trump, you know, becomes president. You know? And these thoughts are, you know, people are considering real estate in Mexico and things like that, right? But to understand that Allah Azza wa didn't just protect us, He sent angels whose only job is to protect us. وَيُرْسِلُوا عَلَيْكُمْ حَفَظًا He sends on to you guardian angels, literally guardian angels. Why do you think when you press the brakes at the red light, after you were going 50 miles an hour, that your car came to a stop? It's not just because you got new brakes. Because those things can fail whenever Allah wants them to. They are literally angels on the road with you that are keeping that drunk driver from riding into you. That's what Allah does. He protects you through His angels. You know? نَحْنُ أَوْلِيَاءُكُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ That's what the angels tell a person when they're dying. We have always been your protecting friends. In this world and in the next. That's belief in the unseen. You're not without protection when you turn to Allah. And then of course, you know, these aspects of the unseen I wanted to highlight because this is what, we, what the ummah needs right now. You have Islam being ridiculed all the time. The Prophet is made fun of, Islam is made fun of, Muslims are made fun of, the Qur'an is made fun of, our Akhirah is made fun of, Jannah is made fun of, Naar is, what is not made fun of? What is not criticized? Muslims have such low self-esteem now. Young guys in high school and girls in high school are embarrassed to let people know that they're Muslim. They're humiliated by that fact. And Allah, that's the time to believe in the unseen. No matter what you see dignity as on the outside, وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةِ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah alone owns dignity. And His Messenger has all the dignity. And the believers have dignity. By extension that Allah is the one who grants dignity. You know that we're dignified people, no matter what fun people make of us. 
If you think people are making fun of your religion, understand that the prophets were far worse made fun of. You know, لَقَدْ اِسْتُهْزِئَ بِرُسُلٍ مِّن قَبْلِكَ Messengers were made a lot of fun of, much before you. You know, فَإِن كَذَّبُوكَ Then if they're lying against you, then messengers have been called liars before. So if you and I are made fun of, then actually we get to live a sunnah of prophets. We get to live a sunnah of prophets. That itself is an honor that the Muslim is being embarrassed or made fun of. The, the Qur'an changes our perspective to what nobody else can see. We see something that is invisible to everybody else. That is al-ghayb. That is yu'minuna bil-ghayb. And so here, just a couple more quick examples, even about, you know, husbanul hayyin. Like, you know, you're, you're engaged in some conversation, and you're talking about somebody's dignity or character. Like I was telling you previously about backbiting. These are big problems. And some people who don't have the iman present at the time, tahsabunahu hayyinan. You think it's nothing, it's just, we're just talking, man. We're just talking. وَهُوَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ عَظِيمٌ And this is a big deal before Allah. As far as Allah is concerned, this is a massive thing that you just kind of blurted out with your mouth. You should be very careful what comes out of your mouth. You know, this is a matter of the unseen. My favorite of these that I wanted to just share with you tonight is about hope. When the ummah seems like it's in a bad time, and then a worse time, and then a worse time, and then a worse time, we have to understand something. Allah Azza wa Jal gave us certain promises in His Qur'an, and when Allah gives a promise, I don't care what I see with my eyes. What I see with my heart overweighs what I see with my eyes. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلَا تَهِنُوا وَلَا تَحْزَنُوا وَأَنْتُمُ الْعَلَوْنُ إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ You don't become weak of heart. You don't become sad. You are going to be in the highest position if in fact you truly, truly believe. You are going to be in the highest of positions. So it doesn't matter if the ummah suffers a defeat after a defeat after a defeat. If we are getting one depressing news after another depressing news, across the world and even in the West, towards the Muslims, directed towards the Muslims, that, that is of no consequence. Because at the end of the day, لَا بُدَّ لِلَّيْلِ أَنْ يَنْجَلِي لَا بُدَّ لِلْقَيْدِ أَنْ يَنْكَسِرِ At the end of the day, night's gonna go. And the prison's gonna break. You know, the, 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 the cell is gonna break. There's hope from Allah that Allah will give the believer victory so long as they have iman. You can take everything away from a believer, you can't take their hope away. You can't take their hope away. This ummah is not allowed to be depressed. This ummah is not allowed to be without hope. We are the people that when we recite the book of Allah, the first thing we stand before Allah and say is Alhamdulillah. Which means we always look at the bright side. You cannot say Alhamdulillah when, you have, when you're full of complaints. You can't truly say Alhamdulillah and praise and thank Allah when all the only thing on your mind are negatives. You can't. You can only say Alhamdulillah ala ni'am on good things, on, on blessings and favors and opportunities that Allah has given you. So this is a favor of Allah. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest people, think about it this way, some of the greatest people that lived in our history, our heroes, the prophets, the messengers, the salihin, the Qur'an honored, that Allah mentioned in His Qur'an, they lived in some of the darkest times. They lived in when, when shirk and kufr, you know, association with Allah, disbelief, corruption, evil, was dominant. And they were the only source of guidance. They were never a majority. They were always what? A minority. And the, the forces of kufr seemed to get more and more and more aggressive as they continued their work. And that's what made them amazing. When we are living in times when darkness is great, that actually means Allah has honored us to relive some of the challenges of those great people. This is an opportunity from Allah. لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل. 
Now, those among you that spent and struggled and fought before victory came, they are at a higher level. They're not the same as those who came after when times were easy. So when the Muslim hopes, and I, hope, I wish I was living in a time when times were easy, there were no challenges. Islam was all over the place and I could just go outside and hear the adhan and we would all walk to the masjid together and you know, everybody else you know, left us alone and happy times. Well, you know what? Those happy times, the people who live in those happy times have not even close to the opportunity to please Allah and to make Allah proud like the people who live in difficult times. Well, that's, that's in and of itself, for everybody else living in difficult times is a reason for depression. For the believer living in difficult times is a reason to be grateful to Allah. That Allah saw you and He saw me up to the challenge. If we were not capable, Allah is completely capable of taking my ruh and blowing it into a mother at a time when things were much easier for the Muslims. But Allah chose my ruh and your ruh and, your, and He put them in the wombs of our mothers for this day and age. He created us for this day and age. He saw us fit to face today's challenges. This generation of people. So don't think less of yourselves. And that's again part of iman bil ghayb. Alladhina yu'minuna bil ghayb. And now, if you have this world view of the unseen, this idea that you're going to live your life and it's going to shape your your view of everything will be shaped by a reality that most people can't even see. They can't even see it. How are you going to keep that fresh? You have to refresh this thing. Obviously, you know how they say in Arabic, or in English even, out of sight, out of mind? Right? You have to, if, if this is something I can't even see, then I need some mechanism by which this will be rejuvenated inside of me. And so you'll find the perfect continua- continuation of this wisdom. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Where is the belief in the unseen strengthened inside of a person? وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَةِ And they establish the prayer. أَقَامَ بِمَعْنَى adama. They make the prayer permanent. They make sure this is a pillar that never falls. أَقَامَ comes from the word qama, which means to stand. أَقَامَ means to make something else stand. Allah Azza wa could have said, وَيُصَلُّونَ And they pray. He didn't say that. He said, وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَةِ And they establish the prayer. There's a big difference between praying and establishing prayer. Establishing prayer suggests that we actually, from very literal to actually give the iqama. What's the iqama? Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. What's the purpose of the iqama? The iqama is an announcement that everybody else should stand in prayer. That's what its function is. When Allah says, yuqimuna salah, this is actually an indication that they pray alone or together. They pray together. They pray together. Because this reality, you cannot maintain it in yourself alone it will become weaker and weaker and weaker. When you stop coming to the masjid, when you stop being around other Muslims who are trying to preserve their faith, and you are at your office day in and day out, then you go hang out with your friends, and you go back to your apartment and you're by yourself, and you do this month after month after month, you will see a weakness in your connection with Allah. You will see how less you think about Allah. You will see how easier it becomes for you to do sins. You will see the effect of that ghayb inside of you becoming ghayb from you. It's, it's disappearing from you. And when you come back to the house of Allah, and you just pray, you just come here and pray, the, some of you, alhamdulillah, you're inspired by Ramadan and you've come to the masjid. The feeling that you had when you stood and you prayed, the feeling that you have when you're just sitting there, salah hasn't even started. There's a, there's a sakina, there's a peace 
that descends from angels, that comes into your hearts, that is given into the houses of Allah, that is not given anywhere else. You know? إِلَّا نَزَلَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّكِينَةِ Like the Prophet ﷺ says, مَجْتَمَعَ قَوْمٌ فِي بَيْتِ مِنْ بُيُوتِ There's no group of people that ever gather in any of the houses of Allah, and the best houses of Allah are His masajid. That when they come and they want to learn the Book of Allah together, angels come down towards them. You know, حَفَّتْهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ Angels start surrounding them. And tranquility descends upon them. They, there's a peace that they feel. And that peace, that, that ease, because this belief in the unseen, the purpose of it is to give you peace. أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنَّ الْقُلُوبِ And so, this is actually one of the, the, the next item that's been given. People that really want to protect themselves, you have to protect themselves from dangers you can't even see. Well, if you can't see them, how will you be conscious of those dangers? You maintain a direct connection with Allah by establishing salah. Literally, the word salah comes from the word sila, which means connection. Meaning, your connection to God in this religion is through the prayer. Your connection to Allah primarily is through the prayer. Many people don't know this, that actually in, in ancient Judaic tradition, in Judaism, a lot of the changes were made to the Torah, right? And we know that. But actually one of the tragedies of that was their entire religion became focused more and more uh, towards rituals and sacrifice. The temple and sacrifice. You know, the temple was the most important thing and sacrificing animals for God was most important. But the salah itself was actually weakened. They, they, they abandoned in many many groups among them abandoned the salah. And I'll get to some details about that a little later because you have to understand when these ayat are coming down, they are actually a, an indirect reference to the people of the book also. They're also listening. Allah Azza wa Jal concludes this first group of people of taqwa. They have iman in the unseen. How do they fulfill their, how do they strengthen their iman in the unseen? They, they establish the salah. Then what's the next part? The next part is, وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And from whatever we have provided them. They say, مَا لِلِبْهَمْ As opposed to, مِنَ الَّذِي رَزَقْنَاهُمْ قَالْ مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ مَا is awsa, it's vaster, and it's open-ended. Let me put that in simple English for you. And it is only out of whatever we have provided them. Some people were provided nothing but health. Some people were provided nothing but a sharp mind. Some people were provided a great deal of wealth. Some people were provided opportunity, some people were provided fame. Allah provides different people different things. He doesn't provide. My risk is not the same as your risk. Allah provided some people sons, Allah provided some people daughters. Whatever Allah provided you, from whatever Allah provided them, it is out of that that they spend, yunfiqoon. Infaq in the Arabic language of spending, actually one of the meanings of anfaqar rajulu, yati bima'na iftaqar rajul of a person to become bankrupt, to keep spending and keep spending and keep spending. And I don't want to dwell too much into the meaning of the word infaq, but one thing I want to share with you, it shares meanings with the word nafiqa. Nafiqa is a lizard's hole. In, in the desert, the lizard makes a hole to survive attack animals. right? But the way it makes a hole is it actually keeps two openings. So if the animal attacks it from this side, if hunting dogs or something are coming after a lizard, a big lizard on this side, the lizard goes on this hole and comes out of the other hole. Okay? This was something actually even used, the nafiqat was also used by kings back in the day. Because the kings used to have their giant castles or whatever, but if one day the castle is going to be invaded, behind the fireplace, what do they have? That secret tunnel that takes you out into the woods? Or whatever, that's also called a nafiqat by the way. So a hole with two openings. Yeah? The idea of infaq, by the way, this is the same root from which you get munafiq, hypocrite. Why? 
Because the hypocrite keeps two options open. If things are good with the Muslims, he'll be on this side. If things get tough with the Muslims, he'll go through the hole, come out the other side. But, on the, but the, the other interesting thing about infaq is that literally we put money in, in this world, into one side of this hole. And where do we get it out? In the akhirah. This is actually the, the concept of a deposit. You know, you have uh, checking accounts where you can withdraw your money right away. And then you have long-term investment accounts. You can't just deposit money there and take it out right away. That's a retirement account. You have to be a certain age to withdraw those funds, yes? But when you put money in that account, you're not spending. That's not called spending. That's actually called investing. Because the recipient of those funds is who? Yourself. It's really just a transfer of funds. The idea of spending from what Allah has provided is actually the idea of us transferring funds from our dunya account into our akhirah account. It's still my account. It's just in a different bank. It's not the Bank of America. It's not Wells Fargo. It's not Citibank or Chase. It's the Bank of Allah. That's the bank. And it's far more than FDIC insured. Right? So it'll give you your returns and then some on top. You know? So it's actually an act, that, and this is by the way, this can only happen if you believe in the unseen. You can only spend for the sake of Allah, and spend and give sadaqah and help somebody out, and not think about what you have left in the bank, if two things are clear to you. Number one, مَا نَقَصَ مَالٌ مِنْ sadaqah. When you give, money doesn't decrease. That's the promise of the Prophet ﷺ. Money does not go down when you give sadaqah, when you give charity. In other words, when you're gonna give, Allah will replace with better. You want a promotion? Give sadaqah. You're not getting enough, enough savings? Give sadaqah. Allah will open more doors for you. That's the promise of Allah. That's one part of the belief. The other part of the belief is actually even deeper. And that is that when we are giving, you're not giving to an orphan. You're not giving to people, flood victims or earthquake victims. You're not giving to a masjid. You're actually giving to Allah. You see here Allah says, وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ But لَمْ يَقُلْ يُنْفِقُونَ عَلَى الْيَتَامَى You know, عَلَى الْمَسَاكِينَ عَلَى الْفُقَرَاءَ He doesn't say, spend on what? He just says they spend. But actually realize that the spending that we do, this is why Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, every time she used to give sadaqah, she used to put perfume on it. She used to put perfume on it before she gave sadaqah. And that's why. Because she says, I'm sending it to Allah. I'm sending it to Allah. She's giving, every time you give charity, it's actually an act of giving to Allah Himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, that idea I want to expand upon a little bit before we go any further. Think about it this way. The, you know, I'll give an example I used to give many, many years ago, but it's still relevant. I find it beneficial. Children can be very selfish. Okay? So, my kid, one of my kids, you know, Husna, when she was little, She's really into chocolate. That's a genetic problem we have. We're all addicted to chocolate. So I'm eating chocolate. She's looking at my chocolate and says, Abba, can I have some? No, you can't have any. Abba, little bit. No, you can't. Can I just have a little bit? Okay, here. You can hold it. But after 10 seconds, you have to give it back to me. So I gave her for 10 seconds. And she's eating it as fast as she can. Bigger bites than her mouth. And it's not finished yet, and 10 seconds are over. And I say, I was not going to have it back. And what does she say? Mine! And runs away. <laughs> Your kids go to somebody else's house. They've got a toy. You know, the kids are awesome. Kids never play with their own toys. 
never play with their own toys. The only time they play with their own toys is if somebody else's child is there. <laughs> then they say, this kid, this toy is so awesome, it's mine. As soon as that kid is gone, they throw it away again like... <laughs> they just want to make that guy feel bad. So that kid keeps begging, can I play with it? Can I have a turn? Can I have a turn? Can I have a turn? And finally he hands him the Avenger or whatever. And he plays with it for two seconds. Then it's time to go home. And the kid who had the, who's borrowed the toy, does he let go easily? He says, can I keep it? Their mom said I could keep it. <laughs> you know? Human nature, from childhood onwards, is when we are given things that are not ours. We're given things that are not ours. Very quickly we forget that they're not ours. We start assuming, imagining, we forget that part that it was given to us, we start imagining that it belongs to ourselves. That, it's, that it actually doesn't belong to someone else. And we want to hold on to it. And when someone wants to take it from us, we're like, no, no, mine, mine, mine. What does Allah Azza wa Jal do? Allah Azza wa Jal could have said, وَيُنْفِقُونَ And they spend. But He says, مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ From what we provided them. We're the ones who give you, forget that. You forget that it's not yours. The clothes I'm wearing aren't mine. The money in the bank isn't mine. The car I'm driving is not mine. I say all the time, my shirt, my car, my wallet, my account, my house. I use the word my so, so many times that I forget that it's actually the belonging of Allah. So much so that my body, my eyes, my ears, my nose, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. We ourselves belong to Allah. We're gonna be returned to Allah. What to speak of our property? Our property is only an extension of the very property of Allah ourselves. So the idea, we easily forget that it's, it's given by Allah. And that's why there's an ikhtisas here. There's a special tawheed here. That's why it's muqaddam for grammar students. مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Notice also that Allah says, from what we provided them, they spend. In other words, the only past tense in the ayah is provision. Allah says they believe, present tense. They establish the prayer, present tense. They spend, present tense. But providing, He didn't say, مِمَّا نَرْزُقُهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ He said, مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ From what we provided them, they spend. So what's the point of using the past tense here? Of the many benefits, think of it this way. You don't have to wait for Allah to provide you until you spend. Some people say, I will give sadaqah. I will give when Allah gives me. And right now, not right now, Allah hasn't given this yet. فَحِينَ مَا أُنْفِقْ When He gives me, then I'll spend. Allah is saying to every single human being, I've already given you. You already have something. If you only have two dates, give me one of them. If you just have an apple, give me a slice. If you have youth, give me some of it. If you have energy, give me some of it. If you have talent, give me some of it. Everybody's been given something. You wouldn't be breathing on this earth if you weren't given rizq. Allah is not just giving this ayah to millionaires. And He doesn't care how much you give. He doesn't care about that. He cares about the quality of what you give, not the quantity. These quantities mean nothing to Allah. Somebody donates $20,000. Amazing. Somebody donates $2. Not that amazing. Not to us. But the guy who has 20000 maybe he owns $20 million. And the guy who gave $2 only has $10. You know those $2 are more valuable to Allah than those 20000 For us, we're like, oh, $20,000 check. Wow, this is gonna help a lot. And the $2 bill, or the $2, two single dollars, we're like, eh, eh, inshallah more will come. But you don't know that those $2 are more blessed by Allah, and they will bring more good than the $2 million you might raise. 
Because of the, the intention that came behind it, and the sacrifice that came behind it. And when someone internalized, from whatever little Allah has given me, I will come forward. This is why Allah says later on in the Qur'an, infiru khifafan wa thiqalan. Come forward, light or heavy. Doesn't, don't ever underestimate what you have to give. You know, little kids, we should give them practice. Little, some of our kids collect coins. And they have just pennies. And they take half their pennies and put them in a sadaqah box. Right? And it's not valuable to you, that's why you gave it to your kid. And it might not even feel valuable to the one who's collecting the, 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 the funds at the end, opening the box and going through it. It's like, ah, people put pennies in here. But to that child, that's like his, her life savings, man. That was a big deal to her, that she did that, and she sent that present to Allah. So don't underestimate the value of your giving, whether it's small or big. This is وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Now, as my time runs out quickly, I do want to get to one more ayah at least. Very powerful ayah. وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ They also believe, and, and those who believe, in what was sent down to you. There's some remarkable things happening in this ayah. Imam Fakhruddin al-Razi is among those, rahimahullah, who comments that this next ayah is about another group of people. The first ayah was open to all of humanity. The next ayah is actually a special group of people, those of them who were exposed to previous revelation, Jews and Christians. So they believe in what was sent to you, and that's the rough translation says, وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ And what was sent, much before you. وَبِالْآخِرَتِهُمْ يُقِنُونَ And in the afterlife, they have absolute conviction. Now let's break this up a little bit, because it's profound. The first ayah, anybody who's gonna believe in the unseen. Anybody who's gonna establish a connection with Allah. And anybody who's gonna give to Allah, give back what he's received in this. That's everybody, right? But now among the people of the book, some background is so vital here. The first thing you'll notice is ma unzila ilayka. What was sent down to you? The you refers to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So Allah has said revelation. He mentioned revelation and the fact that it came down, but He also mentioned who received it. Who received it? The Prophet. But if you notice the next phrase, wa ma unzila bin qablik, and what was sent down much before you, does He mention who it was sent to? No. So if you want to check what was given to Rasulullah wasallam, who can you ask? You can ask Rasulullah. He's the one who received it wasallam, And so they can go, what has been given to you? And he can recite it onto them. But the revelation that came, Allah says, it came down much before, but He doesn't mention, who did it come down to? Why not? Because who were the carriers of revelation were forgotten. They were not remembered. And as a matter of fact, a lot of those revelations, they were either part of oral tradition or some parchment here and there, and they traveled, and even when somebody got a hold of them, they couldn't tell where this came from. When we recite Qur'an, we can say this came directly to Rasulullah wasallam. But unfortunately for the people that came before us, because of the deterioration, especially among the Jewish people, a lot of what was sent down, the, the, who you could trace it back to was lost. It was lost. As a matter of fact, even modern uh, academics, a lot of them believe that the Torah, the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Bible as we have it now, the written form of it cannot be traced back to the prophets. It can't. You know, there's a gap. There's centuries of gaps in between where the, all the copies were burnt down and it had to be revived again. And you know, it's a very complicated history of how the Bible was compiled. But understand that some pieces of it, some elements of that truth survived over the centuries. 
And even that much iman in whatever was set left over was enough that when somebody heard the Quran, they said, this is what I've read before. This is what was passed down to me. So what they had was very, very little of the original teachings. On this note, I want to share with you something about previous scripture. Basically, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, meaning the teachings given primarily to Musa salam, the Torah, and then the Injil given to Isa salam. Those are the two fundamental revelations. Of course, there's the, you know, the Dawud and Dawud and the Zabur given also, but the two major ones are Torah and Injil. Let's talk about Torah for a moment. Torah was given to who? Musa alayhi salam. Okay. Musa alayhi salam goes before Allah on the mountain. For the first time, he's going to speak with Allah. Yeah? And when he goes and speaks with Allah, one of the first things Allah tells him, He says, Inna sa'ata atiyatun. The hour is coming. Listen carefully now. The hour is coming. Akadu ukhfiha. I'm keeping it almost hidden. Meaning, when exactly is the hour? What is the hour, by the way? The day of judgment. Everybody knows, yeah? So Musa a.s. is told, the day of judgment is coming. But I'm keeping it almost hidden. Meaning some signs are there, but I'm not opening all the signs before you. لِتُجْزَى كُلُّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا تَسْعَى So every single person can be given according to whatever effort they made. The reason I'm quoting this ayah before you, is one of the first teachings given to Musa salam in the Qur'an is what? That the day of judgment is coming. And he said that there are signs of the day of judgment. And he also said that what will happen on the Day of Judgment, what's the most important part of the Day of Judgment? Every person will be given the efforts they made. Now, when you look at Jewish tradition, a lot of Jewish tradition, the rabbinic tradition now, if you go back a few centuries even before Jesus, you'll discover that the group, the, the Jews were actually broken up into two major religious groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. This you may not have heard before, I won't go too deep into this stuff, but I want to give you an overview, it's very fascinating stuff. And it helps you appreciate this ayah, really. That's the, the purpose was, for which I'm sharing it with you, is it helps you internalize the teachings of this ayah. The Jews were group, bro, broken up into two groups way before, centuries before Isa alayhi salam, five, six, even longer centuries before. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were basically custodians of their qibla. What's their qibla? Jerusalem. Okay. Then these were also religious people, they did rituals and worship, and they believed that the entire religion is focused on the, the worship of the temple. And sacrifices in front of the temple. And what's really interesting is the Sadducees did not believe in an akhirah. They believe that we will be turned into dust, and that's the end of it. There is no afterlife. Custodians of the house of Allah who don't believe in akhirah. The other group was the Pharisees. And these were rabbis also. What we have nowadays is the rabbi tradition, the Orthodox Judaism. Their ancestors are the Pharisees. They actually did believe in a, res- a day of resurrection. And they also believed in a part of Torah that was not written. It was only transmis- transmitted orally. Meaning that it was recited and passed down. But it wasn't written down. Okay? And this is a smaller group that believed, actually there's a significant group also, that believed that there is such a thing as an akhirah. But you know what? Even they didn't believe that the akhirah is for every single individual. They believed nations will be judged, but not people. So they had a very different concept of the akhirah that was left. Now, does this sound different from what Musa was given the night he went before Allah? Yeah. So you can tell Allah has changed over the centuries with them. Even the group that has some concept of the Akhirah has a very rough concept of the Akhirah. And when their temple was destroyed, enemies came, you know, several other nations came and destroyed the temple. And the temple was completely destroyed and the Jews were exiled. Which group believes that the religion centers around the temple? The Sadducees. 
Their historians argue they were almost completely wiped out. And the only ones left were the other, the Pharisees, who had some concept of Akhirah, even there it's weak. As a matter of fact, if you study the Hebrew Bible, until the very end of the Hebrew Bible, you don't find any mention of Akhirah, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Jannah, Nar, pretty much nothing. Nothing. Such a central concept in the Qur'an. Can you imagine? Every other passage in the Qur'an is somehow or the other about what? The Akhirah. And in the Jewish tradition, it was almost completely gone. Then you have books later on, like the book of Job, or the book of you know, uh, Ecclesiastes, who actually straight up directly said, we will just be turned into dust and there is no resurrection. In their books, complete denial of the Akhirah. There is no such thing as the Akhirah. This concept somehow though, by the will of Allah, somehow, some of it survived in oral tradition and made its way back a couple of centuries before Isa salam. And slowly some groups of Jews started believing in the afterlife again. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, whatever record we have in the New Testament, Jesus actually argues with a group of Sadducees. Remember the Sadducees were the ones who did not believe in the Akhirah. He, he debates with them about the existence of an Akhirah. So there, uh, he's actually talking to fellow Jews, Muslims of that time, who don't believe in an afterlife. In other words, of the, you know, the, the fundamentals of our faith are Iman in Allah, belief in God, belief in revelation, and belief in an afterlife. Of these three, which one was mostly forgotten by them, or ignored by them, or completely corrupted? Belief in the afterlife. Now you appreciate the wisdom of this ayah. وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ Now what was sent to us, and what was sent before us, includes belief in God, and stories of prophets, it includes laws, ahkam, but what one thing of all the revelation that Allah highlighted at the end of this ayah, وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُقِنُونَ And especially when it comes to the final life, they have absolute conviction. They're absolutely convinced. As a matter of fact, Isa salam in whatever's left of the Bible, and how much of it we can rely on, we don't know, even uses the word paradise, or what goes back to Al-Firdaus in the Bible. And when I said a couple of centuries ago, this belief was kind of revived among them, they did have two terms that are similar to the Qur'an, Gehenna and Gan. Gehenna is the Hebrew for Jahannam, and Gan is the Hebrew for Jannah. They did use these terms. They did make a, a comeback, but even then it was very, very vague. Nothing even close to the description of Jannah and Nar that you find in the Qur'an. Nothing even close. And that's why when they came to this book, the thing that hit them like no other is the Akhirah. The thing that was just completely almost lost on them are very vague. Even there were concepts like, you know, we're gonna be ghost-like figures, you know, shadowy figures, and the body will not be resurrected, only the soul will be res resurrected. And there's even traces that they developed that idea from Plato's uh, philosophy. Because they figured the body decays and dies, so how are we gonna be resurrected? Maybe some soul survives and the body will be gone forever. We know that the body will also be revived. That's where our belief is. What I wanted to try and conclude with today is that the iman in the akhirah, that human beings are going to experience death. And after death of this world, there is another life that starts inside of their graves. And then that life is going to take another form when the trumpet is blown, the horn is blown into, and humanity will rise again. And they're going to be judged one by one by one for every last thing that they did. And then they're going to walk a path. And that path is going to lead them either towards heaven or towards hell. This entire life cycle that the Muslims have always believed in, every child here knows, was, we take it for granted. Like Iman and Akhirah, of course we believe in Akhirah. 
this thing was erased from the minds of people that were before us. It was erased from them. It was taken away from their consciousness. And it was only, you know, droplets of it remained. And Allah Azza wa Jal sent this Qur'an to restore that faith. To revive iman in the akhirah. So in, this, in these two minutes that I have with you, I want to share with you the value of this akhirah. Allah Azza wa Jal in the previous ayah mentioned, they believe in the unseen. Remember that? يُؤْمِنُونَ bil-ghayb. Which part of the ghayb did they forget? They forgot the akhirah. They, they forgot the akhirah. And when they forget the akhirah, then what is the value of your deeds? Why are you doing good deeds? Why are you staying away from bad deeds? You don't really have any real motivation because what's been taken away? Akhirah. So then iqamatul salah will suffer or no? If you don't have any akhirah, if you have no concept of there's consequences of me missing my prayers, are you going to care about praying? No. And when you're going to spend and you have no belief that this spending will bring you good in this life and in the next life, then what motivation of spending do you have left? The fundamentals of taqwa, iman in ghayb, and then establishment of salah, and giving, they disappear when the akhirah disappears. They dwindle when the akhirah dwindles. It is a fundamental of our faith. It's something we, we our, our, our faith anchors on. And so, وَبِالْآخِرَةِهُمْ يُقِنُونَ Notice, يُؤْمِنُونَ was used, they have iman. And finally, yuqinun is used. Yaqeen. Yaqeen in Arabic means to have absolute conviction. Of all the things they believe, the one thing they never forget about is the afterlife. The idea that they are going to stand in front of Allah. And with that consciousness, inshaAllah ta'ala, as we read the rest of the surah, you'll see a different flavor to the surah. Because it's talking to those group of people that have forgotten about that life that is coming. One of the goals of a student of the Qur'an is to understand how everything Allah teaches in the Qur'an, in one way or the other, takes us back to that meeting with Allah. This life is about getting closer to Allah. The next life is when you get ultimately close. You see? So this life is actually preparation for the next one, where we actually have to meet with Him. So every salah is a rehearsal for judgment day. Every jumu'ah is a gathering like yawmul jamu'ah. Hajj is a rehearsal when we stand in front of Allah, like we're gonna stand in front of Allah in Judgment Day. Every one of the acts of worship in Islam, in one way or the other, remind us of that standing in front of Allah. May Allah Azza wa Jal prepare all of us for that standing. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim, wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
كصيب من السماء فيه ظلمات ورعد وبرق يجعلون أصابعهم يجعلون أصابعهم في آذانهم الصواعق حذر الموت والله محيط يكاد البرق يخطف أبصارهم كلما أضاء لهم مشوا فيه وإذا أظلم عليهم قاموا ولو شاء الله لذهب بسمعهم وأبصارهم إن الله على كل شيء الذي جعل لكم الأرض فراشا والسماء بناء والسماء بناء وأنزل من السماء ماء فأخرج به من الثمرات رزقا لكم فلا تجعلوا لله أندادا السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة
الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين قل اللهم مالك الملك تؤتي الملك من تشاء تعز من تشاء وتذل من تشاء 
إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا بما غفر لي ربي وجعلني من 